Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Drivers! Start your engines! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect. When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. Welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we discuss everything racing. Joining me in the studio tonight, Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing. Mr. Richard Uden, race engineer, uh, journalist uh, with IndyCar.com and Motorsports Tribune, Joey Barnes, and NASCAR correspondent Seth Eggert. How is everybody doing this evening? Terrific. Very good, good. thank you. All right, great to have you all here to listen. So that uh, that big attention-grabbing sport of NFL football is now behind us, which means auto racing can take center stage, um, in, in, in our minds at least. But uh, So we've seen um, NASCAR um, on the track for the first time this past weekend. Uh, we've got uh, the IndyCars were out in Phoenix uh, testing uh, for several days. Uh, all the teams there, we've got all the lineup sets, uh, some new... Uh, uh, new team alignments there, uh, rookie drivers in the car for the first time. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff going on there. Um, so, uh, but let's let's talk about that IndyCar test out there. Uh, and Joey, you spent uh, the better part of a of a couple of days out there, uh, right there on the track, um, uh, reporting for IndyCar.com on the test there. And um, a lot of you know a lot a lot to see. The new car is exciting. Uh, we saw again rookie drivers in their their first seat time with their new teams. Um, and one of the more compelling things I thought, you know, uh, you know, on top of everything else, including the first test of the windscreen, was a lot of new names on the sides of the car, which, uh, which when I say that, I mean new sponsors into the sport this year. I mean, we saw U.S. Concrete on um, Marco Andretti's car, uh, PaySafe on the Dale Coin entry. Uh, uh, Scott Dixon showed off a brand-new PNC Bank livery. Um, Seal Sealmaster is uh, on the other coin car there. Um, Binderholtz on the um, uh, Yunkos car. So uh, some new names there. It's uh, it's pretty encouraging that we're seeing some uh, new sponsors coming into the sport. So, uh, but with that being said, Joey, you were out there. What are your uh, impressions after seeing uh, seeing the cars on that one mile oval uh, during the day and under the lights? Yeah. So 
They had the rookie test on Thursday, and then Mateo Slice did a good job leading everybody on that one. It was a refresher for a few others, like Gabby Chavez and Spencer Piggott, since Spencer Piggott has never actually ran on an oval like ISM. And followed into Friday and Saturday, it was actually a sweep across all four sessions of Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. Uh, there was a total of six thousand over 6,000 laps logged uh, throughout the combined sessions. Sato ended up taking, Takuma Sato ended up taking three of the sessions. Uh, it was remarkable, the pace that, that they had out of the Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan group. Uh, he obviously is getting on pretty well. And, you know, if I'm looking over the combined times, you've got Sato at the top spot. And, you know, he, he averaged the best lap out of that was 189.855, quite a bit off of pole speed that we saw last year. The pole speed, obviously, in a different aero package. Uh, was up there near the 195 mark. So, you know, I don't know whenever we come back in April if we're going to see those kind of times approach that. I think we're going to break the 190 mark. But, you know, overall, this package did produce less of the follow leader and a little bit more of compelling passing that we saw. They were lifting going into one. We saw some, some bottlenecking going up around the dog leg. We saw some passing in three and coming off of four. So, Good passing zones that were starting to develop as practice wore on or, or as a test session wore on. But uh, anyway, behind Sato, we had Will Power, Tony Kanan in his first go with A.J. Foyt Racing, and then the champ, Joseph Newgarden's in fourth, and Graham Rahal, uh, the other Rahal Letterman Lanigan guy, put down the best best lap of, that was fifth worth fifth best on the timesheets. Marco Andretti, Alexander Rossi for Andretti Autosport, 6-7. Todd Dixon was eighth, and the compelling thing with Dixon was the final hour of testing on Saturday night, he actually put it in the fence. Uh, broken right suspension piece. Um, essentially, he said that the Andretti guys got by him. He eased out of the throttle, was trying to put power down. They were just on a fuel full run, fuel run and just lost it. Uh, no... no Severe damage from the looks of the tub or anything like that. Maybe some wing replacements. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see the dynamics that when you have a four-time champ like Scott Dixon run into some troubles trying to find the way with the new package. Behind him was Simon Pagino, and then rounding out the top ten was Hunter Ray. Um, Mateus Leist is somebody I'd like to touch on because you know he's, he's a rookie, he's quick. We saw what he did at Carlin last year for Indy Lights. And he comes in here, he leads the rookie session, A.J. Foyt pulled him aside on Thursday and just told him how proud of him he was, trying to learn pit stops, coming off uh, to the warm-up lane, things like that. He had four separate shunts over the course of the two-day session. So uh, he spun once, and he had a couple of close run-ins with the wall. One of those was almost inclusive of teammate Tony Kanaan. But, um, you know, overall, I like what I see personally because I see him actually testing that limit. And I think we all know that sometimes rookies come in and they're not smooth and sometimes they're too erratic and they, they wreck all over the place or they're bad fast and they are pushing that limit. Um, and I, I think he's he's definitely the guy that's trying to push that limit. And I think we're going to see some good things out of him this year based on what I saw in testing, based off of his makeup and the fact that he's got pretty good mentor there in Canaan. Um, Pietro Fittipaldi, uh, grandson of Emerson Fittipaldi, he ends up uh, 15th best on the timesheets. He's actually going to be in the car for part of the season, and um, I'm excited to see what he can do. Pretty solid out of the gate. He's going to be running Phoenix in, in the second race of the year uh, in April. And then 
just to kind of touch on some of the other noobs to the to the test, Carlin Racing finished 18th and 19th in testing. It's not necessarily indicative. Once again, testing is not indicative of what we're going to see come the come the actual race in April. But overall, you got to like what you see with the new car, with what it presents, different things like that. I think we're going to see a hell of a show when we come back in April. So, um, and among the things that were pretty new and, and in development was the cockpit that was the cockpit aero screen that was getting tested. Uh, Scott Dixon came out there on Thursday. They put PPG designed a different aero screen and they went out there and tested it. Pretty much covers the entire flexion of the of the driver's helmet. And we're seeing something that when he went out there he said there wasn't a whole lot of difference in drivability of the car. That it was more towards somebody's doing something it was more towards um just uh, having to get used to everything so you know trying to get used to a little bit of depth he did say that the glare from the sun because phoenix as you know you come down the front stretch the glare from the sun can just be terrible and it could be blinding that mixed in with the lights and a few other things he said that that was actually reduced quite a bit so you could actually see the track a little bit better but it was a little bit warmer because there was no air come airflow coming in the cockpit and it was quieter it was quite a bit quieter. So he said those were some subtleties to get used to. I would encourage everybody to just know that this is the first tryout of this thing. So this isn't something that we're going to bam, slap together, and put on at St. Pete. At least that's my point of view. I don't know that for a fact. I think we're probably another year away. I think there's going to be a few more trials. They're going to find a few new ways to help there. And a few other things like that. So, you yes, know, and I did. overall, I, I think it's a good thing. I did hear that they were gonna. The next phase was gonna be uh, more impact testing uh, with it. I mean, they, they know that's a pretty strong polymer they have there, uh, but they're gonna subject that to uh, you know various impacts coming at different angles just to see how it holds up. But uh, but all in all, I mean, there is uh, and it's on YouTube if you want to watch it. The visor cam video of Scott Dixon testing that thing, and and it's quite apparent um, that it actually the looking through the windscreen actually reduces the glare and it's apparent in the video if you look at the you know the track lights uh you know outside and then look at them through the windscreen it actually looks like it's giving the drivers a bit of a better view uh, now how long that thing will stay clean and, and how easy it's going to be to keep clean or if you know if we're going to use tear-offs or not that all remains to be seen but uh i, I do believe that it was a good positive first test and aesthetically it looks quite a lot better than uh, that what they're putting on Formula One cars these days. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at something that had pop rivets in. They were kind of putting it on there, kind of like a, a fighter jet uh, canopy. They they wanted to make sure they could try try it out on an oval first. There's still the question about tear offs. There's a question about rain whenever we go to road courses. Scott Dixon was a little hesitant about you know what it could do on a road course uh, necessarily because there is it's an inch thick at least. Uh, so it's got some good thickness, and you got to wonder, you know, whenever you're turning in on elevation corners in a place like Mid Ohio, you know, what is what is that going to do to to change where you see things, where the cutoff is? So there's still some things to be worked out, but overall, I'd say it's a really positive step forward. So um, I, I liked everything I saw out of the test. So I, I think I think we're in for a treat this season. Yeah, and another bit of news coming out of Phoenix and and Gray, I. I 
I'll let you go next, but uh, I just wanted to point out that uh, I'm pretty excited that uh, Jimmy and Sully, that being uh, Jimmy Vassar and James Sullivan, are back in the sport. Uh, those were the guys behind the KVS, KV, KVSH Racing, uh, you know, ran a uh, successful campaign, won the Indy 500 in 2013 uh, with Tony Kanaan. Uh, they left the sport a uh, year before last, but they're back in in a partnership with Dale Coyne, now called Dale Coyne Racing with with uh, Vassar Sullivan, but uh, great to see those guys uh, back in the sport, back on the grid. You know, those are two guys who, uh, uh, you know, racing in, you know, racing's in their blood, and they've been part of the sport for a long time. So now, now, Gray, you had a comment? No, I think that was uh, uh, Richard. Richard had a point to make. Oh, okay, Richard, go right ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, on the um, the sort of visor that uh, IndyCar have been putting on. Um, of course, it, it's obviously going to draw comparisons to uh, the Halo device that uh, your Formula One is going to be implementing this year. And I was just wondering, Joe, if you had any numbers on sort of any if they've done any impact testing. I know you said that's an area they've got to develop now, but if they've got any sort of real numbers, because the numbers coming out of the Formula One world of some of the loads that the that Halo is taking. It's in the sort of twenty-five thousand pounds plus load range um, that this halo is designed to withstand, and it will have to, you know, the teams when they develop it will have to, uh, you know, prove that to the FIA and it pass those marks to to be certified. But I mean, that's an incredible load. It'd be interesting to see how that Perspex screen can can withhandle it. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, a for to to answer the first part of that question. I do not have any numbers. Those are things that are still yet to be known to me. Um, I can tell you this as far as what, what Dixon told me is I expected personally to see because, let's be honest, the deflection, the, the angle of that windshield is or the windscreen is pretty steep. So I expected whenever the wind hits that that you're not going to get so much air, as much air put on that rear wing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, "There's not a lot of difference in feel. We already," he said, "we already knew where the where the you know the CFD was, and because of that, it doesn't really have a lot of difference in feel. Um, there's not a difference in airflow. The numbers in the wind tunnel were were just a few pounds, according to what he said. So, as far as what it does to the handling of the car, it doesn't seem to affect it a lot. Um, and you would feel it at a place like Phoenix compared to to a number of other places. So." That's encouraging. Um, here's my one thing, numbers be damned, about the whole F1 Halo thing. First part is, I love the fact that IndyCar took their time to go through the process, and that a company, an outside, not necessarily an outside company per se, because we all know PPG's been involved in IndyCar racing for a long time, but a company that's not a team is the one that was behind designing this, and they came together with the teams to kind of put this thing together. It wasn't the teams individually coming up with something like Ferrari and Red Bull, etc. And so you found something that kind of is unified, that fits everything. That said, a Halo sounds great with the amounts of numbers that it can withstand and, and different things like that. And yes, of course, cars can, can move around, cars can roll and land on other cars and that. We haven't seen that in F1 in quite a while that said uh, and it can withstand a tire my argument to the halo is the spring at Hungaro ring that ended up hitting Massa hit him at an angle that would have probably gone right in that gap and there is a section of gap on that halo in which you know debris can hit the driver still 
So you want to deflect tires and big objects. That's great. The the big thing about this is protecting the driver from debris in general and deflecting it. So it's great that it can withstand all this energy. The biggest thing to me is can it deflect the energy because that's what's going to be the difference in helping keep the driver safe. And Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm a little reserved about the Halo. A, yes, aesthetically it sucks. But beyond that, as far as a safety standpoint, I don't like the fact that it's still open for the driver to potentially get hit with debris. So, no, yeah, it's interesting to see what what Dixon thinks about the uh, that shield in terms of because when you've got that windshield like that, the for whatever better word from a, a counter argument against it is it's always in your field of vision. You know, it, it's always going to cause some sort of distortion, especially on a piece of perspex or acrylic or whatever material it's made of that thick you know as you say it's an inch thick i mean that's going to distort the driver's vision at some point throughout the uh, you know at, at, at all at all times whereas with the halo if you're looking in the distance some one sliver that thin so close to you you're probably not going to notice um yeah. i mean field way it's, it's like picking a bit like in nascar you know they've got the um you know, the, the, the retention or the, the, the uh, reinforcement strips in the front of the windshield, you know, the drivers never see it because they're looking, you know, so much further forward into the distance. Um, but you're true in the fact that, you know, with the halo, bits can get through there. Um, I'm just wondering if the concern with, the, um, with that Perspex shield is the distortion, the visual distortion. I mean, it's from what? Was, was, sorry, very quickly... Was Dixon, when he was testing that, were there other cars on track? And was he, like, you know, racing close with those cars? Does Would it affect his depth perception at all? I mean, he was just doing solo runs. Um, okay. And from, from what I had heard from him, everything was positive. He said it just, just said it took a little bit to get used to. So um, it was just a matter of, he said everything felt fine. It helped reduce the glare. He didn't have a problem finding his marks to get into the corner and things like that. I mean, obviously the kicker here is he hadn't necessarily been on track at Phoenix. I mean, I think they had the manufacturer test there that he was a part of, but collectively he hasn't been there in this kind of capacity at Phoenix to try to find his points at the beginning of the year. This is the first oval test. So that you have a new car combined with a, a new shield and things like that, so you're trying to find your braking points anyway. But as far as traditional points, there was no... Uh, distortion impact things like that it's just a matter of getting used to something there i i would i would say that this kind of reminds me obviously it's a little bit 
bigger than what we had back in the day of the the late the, the early '90s and the '80s and so on and so forth with with a slight windscreen um, that was almost irrelevant in some cases. But I do think that um, you know that took some getting used to for drivers back in the day. And I think that if we start in, in implementing this in junior formula series, junior categories um, with like the Maserati Indy. People are going to learn how to train with this. People are going to learn how to build with this and drive with it and so on and so forth. And so it's just going to become an impasse. People are going to get used to it, and it's not going to be a big deal. Do you know the company that's producing these shields? PPG. Okay. And, you know, with the technology that, that, that they've developed now with, with that stuff, I you know, back in – Back in the day, you'd have trouble with something that thick being almost like, you know, refracting light, almost like a prism because of that thickness. Um, I'm sure they've, they've developed something here that's pretty pretty distortion-free for those guys. Yeah, there was no prism effect from, from what he said because that was one of the questions asked. There was no prism effect. There was nothing, nothing to that effect at all. So there's still a long way to go in this process, but I would say it was a pretty positive first go. Uh, it's a matter of now, do we make it a little thinner? What is the, what can it sustain as far as impact protection and things like that? And how, how can we modify this for tear offs for weather? Obviously there's a variety of different elements that we can use on the windscreen itself to deflect rain. Cause when you're going a hundred plus miles an hour on a road course, Rain's going to fly anyway off the windshield, but it's a matter of, you know, you can't just throw a Rain-X on something and hope it works. So it's a matter of trying to make everything situated and perfect for each discipline that IndyCar goes to. I would imagine you know, some of the same technology we use in NASCAR for the tear-offs that we use, that, I've, that stuff has gotten better and better as we go along. It's, it's very clear. You can layer it put up to as, as many as seven to ten layers of it where it can be pulled off on pit stops. Yeah, I, I think the and one of the final points on this that I, that I could make is this is the first part that this is the first thing that went on track, but they were doing simulations, you know, in the shop, you know, on the computer, things like that. And they actually, when you look at the windscreen, if people go and check out some of the images of it, they notice that it goes – you know, up the front of the tub, and then it goes all the way down the sides to the engine cover behind the driver. That was actually not the original design. The original design was only going to go halfway back. And, you know, they made some of the drivers, Dixon in particular, made comments that it just, it was one of those things where it kind of cut just a little bit of that vision. You know, there's just that little bit of which it could affect what you do and how you move and things like that just because of your reaction to see things. So they made it go all the way back for things like that. So still a long way to go, but, you know, they're making the right strides. Yeah, no doubt that uh, IndyCar is doing it right, taking their time with it. So, um, so Joey, let's talk about some of the teams that were closer to the bottom of the order. Uh, now, you know, we saw that the um, uh, the, the newer teams had received their cha- chassis a bit later, uh, like like we talked, Carlin um, and the Yukos were kind of down there closer to the bottom of the order. But again, uh, you know, the goal of this test is not to set a fast time, but to uh, to learn the car, um, obviously, and, and have your, 
your newer drivers learn the car as well. But I was a little surprised that uh, uh, Schmidt-Peterson racing in particular, um, Hinchcliffe was down there uh, next to last on the speed chart. Uh, Wickens was a few positions ahead. So uh, um, any, anything, any trouble in paradise over there at uh, Schmidt-Peterson, or is it just is it just that um, they're learning the car and not uh, going after the fast time? Any Any feedback? I would like to think that they're learning the car. Uh, that said, and I'm glad you brought this up because I actually forgot to bring it up earlier. Um, that final hour of Saturday session uh, in the evening got pretty frantic. We, it's where we saw a lot of the action. Groups were going out there, four, five, six cars. And constantly you see a car get a run off a of two, and they go to make a move coming down off a of two, and they got sharply cut off. Well, three or four laps in a row – it was Wickens, who was the guy doing the cutting off, going into the dogleg, and it was a considerably uh, slower pace, the best way I can put it. There's, no, there's other words I could use, but for the sake of the cleanness of the show, um, it was just it was dogged on how slow it was. So he's still trying to learn. Obviously, it was the first time that he was in an environment on an oval. He was kind of stunned by different things like learning how to be within deep 3% of – Hinchcliffe's throttle response, because um, Hinchcliffe came in on, on rookie day and shook down the car for him, and they talked to Wickens afterwards and said, you know, be with, within 3% of the throttle of what Hinch was, and he's like, how do you feel 3% in your foot? So he's still trying to get acclimated learning those little nuances while he's also trying to race inches away from his rivals. So I think it's it's one of those things where he's got a long ways to go, and let's be honest, when you think about oval specialist, Hinchcliffe is not the first one that that is at the top of your timesheets. So, you know, I think that when you when you look at guys like Hinch, you know, he's solid. He can do the job. I think about Texas, if the setup's right, he can definitely do the job. But overall, you know, they're trying to get reacclimated to their program. And I would also stress that they brought in a lot of new people that are also trying to get acclimated to teams, some people from Ganassi and other other organizations. And so I think that's also part of it, is them just trying to get instilled. That said, I'm a little shocked to find where their pace was and where some, a team like Carlin sat. And Carlin, this is their first natural oval test. They tested on Sebring and the Homestead Road Course uh, for a shakedown. They said that the only thing they've encountered was like 15 or 20 minutes of downtime due to IT issues, which every team was plagued by a little bit of computer issues. So they've really got some positive things moving in the right direction. And Max Chilton was saying he expects by the month of May that they could be in attack mode. Charlie Kimball thinks quietly it could be before that. And Trevor Carlin just does what Trevor Carlin does. He just says, look, we're gonna, we just want to be credible. We want to build this thing step by step. We have no illusions. We're not going to come in and shake the tree of Penske um, or Ganassi or guys like that right out of the gate. We just got to come in and do our job, know we do our job. Stunningly, he said 80% of the team that right now is on the IndyCar side, 80% of it's actually his lights team. So it's encouraging to see that it's not just drivers that can move up from Indy Lights to IndyCar, that it also translates with the mechanics and the engineers and things like that. So he said that two engineers roughly per, uh, on Indy Lights, he's looking at five uh, whenever it comes to um, IndyCar. So encouraging to see stuff out of Carlin. Um, I'm a little concerned with uh, Schmidt-Peterson. Yeah, and... Um 
you know, I do like the look of the Carlin team. Uh, honestly, in my mind, at least, anyway, I think that uh, both, both Max Chilton and Charlie Kimball are, are two of the more underrated drivers out there. Um, I, I think, you know, given given the good equipment and given the chance, both these guys can really shine. You know, they both had moments of brilliance uh, that we've seen in the past. You know, we've you know we've seen from Charlie moments of brain fade as well. But uh, overall, I, I think it's a it's a strong combination. Um, you know, building for 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 many years of seeing Carlin in IndyCar. So, but um, you know, that being said, um, real quick, guys at the top of the timesheet. Uh, doesn't surprise us at all if you know when we first started looking at this car we kind of talked about how this is going to be this is going to be a driver's car it's going to be you know a little a little harder to handle you're going to have to break earlier you're going to have to muscle it and if you look at the guys at the top of the sheets there um sato who's got a ton of experience uh will power tony Kanon, uh you know that just uh, goes to show that's really really a driver's car that we have here so i'm really excited for the season to begin in a couple of weeks at st pete yeah, I, I think the the biggest thing, and Marco's the one that, uh, along with many others that have said this, is that the car, it's it's a little bit tougher to handle and things like that, but it's predictable. Uh, you're not, as Gabby Chavez put it, you know, you're not just throwing a Band-Aid on it, which is more thousands of pounds of downforce. The drivers are able to actually diagnose the cars and what they're feeling. It's not about just bravery and entering a corner and wondering if it's going to stick or break loose. Um, so I, it's encouraging to see that, that these drivers, it's predictable, it's light, it's a lot of different things for them, but overall it's something that this puts the racing back into the driver's hands. They can manage tires a little bit. They can manage a lot of different elements to a race. So uh, it's going to be a good season, and I think, honestly, obviously talent transcends. Anytime that you've got an elite talent, they're going to be able to drive anything. Uh, Mario Andretti's and A.J. Foyt's the world were able to do that, but... This also caters to guys that are more technically sound drivers. And, and I look at guys like Rossi, who are going to pick this up really quickly. Marco is going to kind of get his groove back. He is, I mean, I think that's one thing to mention is he's the last guy for Andretti Autosport to finish top five in the championship, and that was 2013. And that was when we had a universal aero kit. So, you know, I think guys like him are going to do well. I think guys that were in Indy Lights driving the IL-15, their driving style is going to translate really well to this, too. So it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, Newgarden tabbed 10 to 12 people that he predicts to be kind of in this championship, and we're not going to really see the stronger contenders start to rise up until after Indy. So the first part of the season is going to be a lot of fun for sure. Absolutely. So uh, season begins March 11th, St. Pete. Uh, is there is there another test slated prior to the season opener, or – or the next time we see cars on the track is going to be St. Pete? They've got a lot of, there's not any open tests that I'm aware of, but they've got a lot of testing to do. There's, I think every team has roughly three more test dates, maybe four more test dates. Um, Ed Carpenter stayed at Phoenix one more day to test out Jordan King uh, on, on the Oval in Phoenix uh, because he was so surprised at how well he'd been acclimated with um, with the car on the road course, so they're going to try him out on the oval just to kind of get him some some seat time and feel it out. But um, you know, everybody else has three or four more tests before we actually see this thing kick off in St. Pete in March. And speaking of speaking of Ed Carpenter, there's a rumored big announcement uh, coming out of the Carpenter uh, team within the next couple of days. It's going to involve a third car and Danica Patrick in the Indy 500. So we'll see uh, if that comes to. Pr- 
to fruition. Heck, that may even be announced by the time our show uh, airs on Thursday. We are taping on Tuesday, so uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, now uh, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, real quick. Uh, Rich, one news before we before we start our Daytona 500 preview um, regarding ESPN and and how they're going to cover Formula One in the United States. Yeah, so ESPN and uh, the ABC network that have taken over from uh, NBCSN to, to cover Formula One in the US, they're not putting a, a team together uh, as NBC uh, did. They're actually taking the live feed from the British Sky TV coverage, which I think a lot of countries do, and probably it's the sort of default, you know, de facto best coverage you're going to see of, of Formula One around there. And I think for the fans out there in the U.S. especially that are watching it and will be watching the coverage, they're going to really enjoy it. There's some, uh, it gives a different dynamic to it. It's a lot slicker than what you've seen on NBCSN in the past. Um, and, yeah, I think it's great for the sport. It's great for the coverage. And I think the fans are going to love it. And I know some of the guys on here have uh, caught some of the coverage in the past from Sky TV. And, uh, yeah, I think the, the general consensus is it's going to be uh, really, really good. Right, and now the first uh, the open test for Formula One, uh, which is is that in Valencia again this year? Uh, that's uh, Barcelona, I believe. I Barcelona, think they Barcelona. Uh, um, I don't think we get to Valencia anymore, but that starts next week. So I think Thursday is the uh, Williams unveil. I think Williams normally get out before anybody else, and I'm thinking. I know in the past few years that's been like a 3D rendered image on the um, F1 Racing magazine website. Could be the same again this year with it being slightly early, but uh, I did hear <clears throat> a rumour that they had actually shut the car down at uh, um, Mallory Park, uh, which is a racetrack in the UK, last week so uh, or earlier this week, sorry. So yeah, I think in the next, next week or two, uh, probably by the time our Next show is next week. Most of the top teams will have uh, will have launched their cars. All right. Well, good stuff. We'll look forward to uh, seeing the first uh, the first twenty eighteen Formula One cars on the track. Yeah. So just to confirm, yeah, fifteenth fifteenth is Williams, and then after that, it's Red Bull on the nineteenth. So yeah, I'm guessing the uh, the Williams car is just going to be a, a rendered image, and then Red Bull on the nineteenth. You've got a lot of guys twentieth, twenty second, twenty third of February. They'll be the actual cars rolling out at the test, and, and that's always a big deal. The Formula One reveals. That's all. That's oh, always yeah. been. Yeah, that's uh, that's good stuff. So, but guys, uh, so but this weekend we've got uh, Daytona Day coming up, as Fox has uh, <laughs> renamed it, the 60th, the 60th running of the Daytona 500. Uh, come down this week, we had uh, pole qualifying. Uh, young Alex Bowman took the pole, um, and the clash and. <laughs> Um, Brad Keselowski took the win in the clash, but if I've watched Daytona as long as I have, I know that those two things, winning the pole and winning the clash, are not indicative of what we're going to see on Sunday. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to you, Gray, and and Seth, you chime in as well. Um, let's talk about Daytona, what we're going to see, what's new, uh, who's where, and uh, what we're looking at. Well, I think the first thing that, that uh, fans noticed was the new ride height rule. Uh, that NASCAR has had, well, or the lack of a ride height rule that NASCAR has imposed uh, uh, for this year. Uh, you saw the cars uh, down a lot further in the rear. Uh, NASCAR with the with the teams using softer springs and stuff uh, in the rear. 
they also raised the spoiler up a half a half inch, so the spoiler is a half inch taller than it was last year. And you also see the car skewed a little bit different uh, that you do. You know, people who who watch the sport closely on on the downforce tracks, you'll see the car skewed a little bit to the right. Where if you see a frontal shot of the car coming towards you, it looks like the uh, right rear sticks out a little bit. Uh, these the cars at Daytona are are significantly skewed to the left. And what that does when the car goes into the corners and gets in a yaw condition, it gets that spoiler out of the uh, out of the windstream, and uh, and it and makes the car actually faster, reduces the drag. So you see a little bit of that. That's that's another uh, thing that we're going to notice. And with that with that, uh, the cars, uh, you know, the report from the drivers with the cars were a little bit twitchy, uh, uh, especially in the. Uh, in the clash, uh, that was the first time they really got on on the track in, in a lot with a lot of drafting and, and cars uh, moving around and, and, and the, dealing with the wind. But uh, I think we're, we're going to see uh, see the cars. The, the, the drivers are going to work on that, and teams are going to work on it throughout the week, particularly starting with Thursday when we get to the twins. Uh, Thursday night, you'll see the guys uh, learn a little bit more for. Uh, for the upcoming 500. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think you can really judge what we're going to see uh, in Sunday by what we saw uh, in, in the clash right yet. I think there's still guys uh, going to gonna need some more track time with this, and, uh, and we're gonna, they're going to figure it out. Um, I'm not looking for a very competitive race on, uh, on Thursday night in the, uh, in the Twins. Uh, the teams, you know, the, there's no uh, really jockeying for positions because the field is set, essentially. Forty teams showed up. Forty teams are going to start the race. And I don't see the guys risk going out and risking uh, their primary car. Uh, well, there is points on the line. Yeah, there are points on the line, but I don't think uh, – I, I think people are going to look at the big picture and we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. I, I, I'd be surprised if we see a, a really dicey uh, – race in, in, in either of the twins. I know the points, you know, do, do factor in, but uh, are they only going to pay points like – is it going to pay back through the field or is it only oh, the top ten? Top ten. Uh, it yeah. will likely be similar to what we saw in the Clash because yeah. in the Clash we only had 17 cars. We're going to have 20 in each duel. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, I, I don't know what, what kind of race we'll see. And I might add, too, that the poll that uh, Alex Mumman won was the fourth consecutive for Hendrick Motorsports, uh, Jeff Gordon won in 15, uh, 16 and 17 was Chase Elliott, and of course uh, Alex Bowman uh, this year. So, uh, and 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 the uh, Hendrick car showed a lot of speed, uh, you know, single car speed. Uh, I think uh, you know one thing I did notice. I think uh, the Roush cars, uh, the Fords, look pretty strong uh, in the draft. Um, so we'll see how that goes, and that's that's you know. That's kind of where they've been for the last several years. And, of course, Roush uh, cars were strong in the restricted plate last, races last year, too. So, uh, But we'll talk about, you know, as we go forward in the program, we'll talk about what we think, who we think uh, uh, when we give our picks for the, uh, for the 500 and talk about who we think are going to be the, the, the breakout teams or the strong teams in, in 2018. And as you alluded to with the skew, that's because – at Daytona, for the first time, the drivers have that in-car track bar adjuster 
at their disposal. Yeah, too. Yeah, that too. And then the guys are working with a little bit because you obviously you see in the, the reverse the reverse of what you see on the downforce tracks. They're wanting to get spoiler at Daytona and Talladega, and they want to get the spoiler in the air at, at the downforce. It'll catch on pretty quick, and uh, and and they'll uh, they'll get these cars a little more secure before they uh, before they embark on the five hundred. All right, now Richard, you uh, you just type a comment in here. Uh, about the new Ford body confirmed, you know, kind of, uh, you know, I was watching the clash. I was thinking about, uh, you know, Keselowski's comments last year that, you know, Toyota had our now Chevy's got the new car and us guys at Ford have nothing. Although what I saw in the clash was a bunch of Fords running up front. So, uh, yeah. So what's, uh, what's the word on the new Ford body? Um, I guess they're going to, so my understanding is that the way this works with NASCAR is they have an old Dodge body. Uh, from, from back in you know a few years ago now, and your or when the manufacturers develop a new shell, basically like you've seen with really this year and Toyota previously, your downforce numbers and your aero numbers have to fit within a certain window that is within a certain of these uh, this Dutch body. Now, of course, that does also allow um, you know the teams to be smart about how they design body and allow areas where they can manipulate that bodywork a little bit and, and, and sort of gain a little bit of an advantage there. Now it wouldn't surprise me if this probably isn't the last um, body um, reveal composite body like you've seen in the uh, Xfinity series of the last year or so. That's a lot harder for the teams to manipulate and um, tweak on should we say between events um, and another area where NASCAR are, are heavily invested in process. So, in the past few years, I've had a um, you know pre-qualifying and pre-race, the cars have had to go through an inspection. Now, that's been notorious for teams playing games and you know sticking the feet underneath the car to sort of hold its ride height and all these sort of games that you can imagine going on. So they've now gone to um, a Hawkeye system or a, a visual system which measures the body location and measures uh, you know far more points uh, and far more detailed configuration of the vehicle so not only is it faster because it's a visual system but in theory it should be a lot more accurate now um, obviously the teams are having to learn how to use this and as, as most of them will be as well learn how they can get an advantage using the system compared to uh, com- compared to the older system and I think a few teams did struggle a little bit uh, down at Daytona last week uh, but Nick Murray. Yeah, I think a couple of the Stuart Haas cars as well had a bit of an issue. But in a way, it's good having this extra time down at Daytona to, you know, give you a little bit more time getting through it. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago at Atlanta where only about 10 cars made it to qualifying because so many cars had issues with uh, with going through inspection. So hopefully this will make it a little bit fairer and a little bit quicker. Um which will certainly be an improvement. And I think one final thing we saw as well uh, at Daytona this week was the first use of four-man pit crews rather than five-man pit uh, crews. Five-man instead of six. So five instead of six. six. Well, yeah, if you include the... Uh, include the yeah. mm-hmm. um, and there's some... I, I didn't get a proper chance to sit down and look at it in detail, but uh, I saw one of the cars where the jackman would... or you'd have, You basically have two jackmen. One guy would carry the jack over, jack the car, and then he'd remove the tyre, and then the tyre carrier from the front would 
lower the car, and then he'd carry the jack round and then jack it on the opposite side. So, you know, there's going to be some interesting ways of, um, you know, getting through, getting around this, and it'll be interesting to see what uh, what times they can get to with these uh, with these pit stops. Um, you know, two there was it was a twofold reason I think to go to this was was partly they wanted to slow down the pit stops, but also it's a cost saving because that's one less guy you've got to send to the track um, every week. And yeah. go ahead. And on top of that, uh, you also have the standard pick gun that all the teams are using. Yes. Uh, between that and the different choreography, pit stops have slowed from about 10 seconds and change. The fastest one in the clash was Jimmy Johnson, 16.8 seconds. Yeah, that's like 1993 pit stops. I think you'll probably take. see that come down again. And also, it wouldn't surprise me again if you don't get a few, um, you know, a few shenanigans going on with those pit guns as well. Um, yeah, you know, teams will teams will work that out pretty quickly. Um, yeah. It's a strange rule, really. I don't understand why they're doing it because, again, they're wanting to try and uh, and reduce the uh, you know cost to the teams because there's a huge amount of work went into the pit gun R and D to try and make those guns as fast as possible. But a lot of the time, it's still human reaction, and sometimes the guys couldn't actually keep up with the gun. You could make the gun so fast that the driver, the pit guys can't react to it. So. Uh, I'm sure that sixteen, what is it, sixteen and a bit will will probably come down into the fifteens, uh, maybe even seeing fourteen by the end of the season. They'll they'll refine it, no, no doubt about it. And some of the techniques that they will they will probably use, or some of the techniques they will at least explore or revisit, will be some of the same things that we did back in the back in the nineties when I first started in this sport. When I went over the wall to change tires, I carried my own tire. So I mean, some of those. Uh, some of those things will come back, and they'll you'll see teams you know try different different things uh, uh, like we did in the old days. Uh, so we'll we'll just have to see how uh, how it goes. But another thing that the NASCAR did they not they they also reduced the number of people that the teams can take to the racetrack, and also the number of people that can actually work on the car. There's a number system or a a uh, uh, a, a patch that the uh, crewmen will wear on their uh, on their uh, jersey, or, or if you want to call it jersey, or their shirt, that will designate their position with the team. And uh, they've also reduced the number of people that that the actual teams can take to the track. So uh, fewer people will be working on the car. And I'll give you an example: is uh, people. Not there's going to be a limited number of people that can actually touch the car uh, during the race weekend. And and one thing that I'll I'll, I'll uh, share with you is uh, when teams would normally go to the track, and I'm going to go back to my experience at the racetrack with when I worked with Bill Davis. Uh, Bill Davis was a very hands-on owner, and uh, he would actually uh, go under the hood and and would assist the uh, engine tuner in changing plugs and. Or, or assist the, assist the team with an engine change or any any number of things, and then of course you would have the case where teams would have to pull out a backup car, and while a uh, part of your team was taking the the backup car off the trailer, there would be other guys from your sister teams or, or even uh, engineers or even the car owner or team manager would be over. Uh, working on the wrecked car, taking pieces off of it that you would apply. Well, those days are gone. Only the people that are designated 
can work on the car. So that's going to eliminate a lot of things. Also, the backup cars arrive at the racetrack without drivetrain. There's no engine, transmission, or rear gear in the car. Uh, that has to be, if the backup car has to come off the truck, all that has to be changed out uh, from the primary car or put in at the uh, at the racetrack. Does, sorry, very quickly, does it have to be um, taken out the primary? Because I know that most things will carry a spare engine in the yeah, hauler and a I spare think NASCAR, I, th- I think NASCAR will have to check it. You know, it, it is, as you all know, that some wrecks are so severe that the, Im- the engine or components of the engine are damaged to the point where it, it's too risky to... Uh, to try to use that engine, you know, um, so I think that's, that's up to NASCAR's uh, discretion whether you can, you know, bring the spare engine out of the transporter and install it. But, but I, you know, I'm that that does not um, that's not a good rule the way no. I see it. I, I don't like it. Um, you know, NASCAR starting all these other initiatives where they want to uh, practice and. They want to qualify the same day as the race. You you remember the Pocono and Martinsville races from last year, and that's going to create a problem, particularly on on this same day uh, stuff. If you have a a car in the last round of uh, qualifying, uh, if the guy backs the car into the fence and you have to roll out the backup car, that's a lot of work to do in a, in a two and a half hour time frame to put an engine, transmission, uh, rear gear in the car. Uh, set it up, inspect it, uh, get it ready for the race. I, I know how they can do it. Or, and I think, yeah, particularly they give you less people to do it with. Yeah, yeah, yeah see, more, that, more work with less people. Yeah, it's uh, something doesn't that, add up. I think one of the ideas, sorry, one of the ideas, obviously, with this is to save money for the smaller teams, which is you know totally understandable. But if you're a smaller team and you don't have the resources to employ people to swap an engine out you know, in, in, in a couple of hours or swap a complete, uh, you know, drivetrain system out in a couple of hours and you can't make the race, then what sort of penalties do you have from your sponsors for not making a race compared to the cost of the extra, you know, uh, extra engine? I, I think they've got to, I think cost saving is good, but I think they've got to, you know, use a little bit of smart about it every now and again. But, you know, but you talk about the cost savings, it's, it's the team owners that ask for this. NASCAR is, you know, NASCAR is having to bite the bullet when when people look at these rule changes and and they look at uh, you know it's as, as a NASCAR initiative, but really it's the team owners that ask for this, and that's 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 the complete body of team owners, the large team owners and and the smaller team owners, and in some cases a lot of your smaller teams they still go to the racetrack with, with, with essentially a lot of volunteer crewmen, too, and have done that. So, so I don't think manpower in the past was, was a problem for the smaller teams because they would always have, have guys that, that would come in and, and, and be able to help it. But I think NASCAR, you know, in, in response to what the owners wanted, are, are looking at these initiatives, and they're the ones that, uh, that are driving the sport right now with, with these changes. And speaking of engines, uh, at Daytona, we have a one-engine rule for the Cup Series this year. Uh, in past years, after the duels, teams could go and change their engine. This year, they have to keep the same engine throughout all the speed weeks, excluding the Clash. Yeah. And 
if they were to blow their engine or change their engine for whatever reason, not only do they go to the back in their duel, not only do they go to the back in the Daytona 500, they go to the back of the field at Atlanta as well. This is meant to prevent drivers from dumping the clutch. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and I'll, give you, I'll give you my thought on that in a second, but yeah, that's... And to answer your question, Richard, the one that Talladega last year. Okay, I knew there was some... I knew that the engines from Talladega were sort of sealed uh, and post-race. There, and there will be uh, 13 engines that are sealed this year, meant to run two races each for a total of 26 races. Right. Yeah. Which so is another cost-cutting... Uh, initiative that NASCAR has. Yeah, and that that again was brought about by request by the owners. The owners wanted wanted to reduce cost as well. But I tell you what, in this day and time, and in NASCAR like it is, uh, an engine penalty like that starting at the rear is not. Uh, we saw it all last year. The good teams, you take the eighteen, the forty two, and some of the other guys. Starting at the rear is, is not that big a hand. They're going to slice through half the field like a hot knife through butter anyway. And with the stage uh, system like it is, uh, you know, stage, they're going to they're going to recover a lot of that thing. So, so I really think in some instances it's not that big. You know, they're going to look at it, but I, I don't know that the that the punishment for having to change engine is is going to be uh, is going to be that great. For some teams, you know what I'm saying. And, yes, and if I may, real quick, just in the truck series, we now have the Ilmore spec engine. Uh, NASCAR is apparently allowing teams to run an optional uh, spec engine, the Arca Ilmore engine, which is about ten horsepower less than the engine that most teams will have. Which, just for one team, for example, Jennifer Joe Cobb's team, last year they were on average, 70 to 80 horsepower less than the big teams. This year, with the ARCA engine, they'll be somewhere between 5 and 15 less on average. And I think you're going to, that's, that's another coming trend that we're going to see invade uh, a lot of other forms of motorsports as we go forward. We're going to see more spec engines. And, and, and of course, it's like, like, you, like we talked about, to, uh, Richard, Touched on a little, a little bit ago, the the composite bodies are coming. Uh, we'll we'll probably see the Cup Series experiment with some of that next year, and I would uh, I would say by 2020 uh, we'll be seeing uh, uh, composite bodies uh, in uh, in all three major series. It wouldn't be too surprising. No, so with that being said, let's let's talk about the race Sunday. Okay, we've got about ten minutes left in the show, um, so let's uh, let's talk about uh, you know who, who we like, who we like for the race. You know, obviously we haven't uh, we haven't seen the um, the duels yet, uh, so we're we're going on what we've seen in the clash, or we're going on past performance. So uh, uh, let's start with you, Joey, um, since you've been quiet through this whole segment. Who uh, who do you, who do you like for um, for Daytona? Um, I mean, if I'm going to be a betting man, I mean, I don't remember the last time a series champion went on to win Daytona off the top of my head. That said, I don't want to go that route, even though my heart's telling me to. Uh, I'm going to go with Paul Menard, actually. So, I, 
I think he's always a solid restrictor plate racer. I look at what Ford's done. Um, even with the new new body, uh, they still ended up doing pretty well in the clash. So, and honestly, I like the combination of Palmenard and Wood Brothers. I actually I see more on social media, which is honestly very scary. And I think the the program general is going to be really good with him. So uh, he's he's on a good team, and um, not that he necessarily wasn't before, but he's on one that has a lot more going for it as of late. So I think Paul Menard's going to do good. <laughs> All right, so R- Richard and Gray, you guys both you guys both know Paul pretty well. So uh, what what are your thoughts on Paul Menard and his his chances in the five hundred? I mean, he's he's basically in a pen. Um, you know, yeah, more or less, yeah. You know, uh, it just rolls out of a different door at the shop. Um, you know, as you say, he's a good restrictor plate racer. He's very solid. He's always, you know, in the top ten with a couple of laps to go. You know, he's never a million miles away from those. And uh, maybe in the past, he maybe hasn't quite put himself in the right positions. And and dare I say, hasn't had teammates around him to work with him. So um, it'll be interesting to see what it's like, you know, because... You imagine if he's there, there about Ryan Blaney, Joe Lagana, Brad Kozlowski, one or two of those guys are going to be in the mix as well. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they all work together because, in all fairness, at RCR, you know, they ha- he hasn't had teammates around him to, uh, you know, to, to be in the mix. I mean, you know, Newman has a habit of going to sit at the back of the pack and, and keep out of trouble. And, uh, and Austin, you know, he could be up there sometimes, but, uh, you know, you wouldn't have... I think, you know... Probably his best chance at one of the restricted plates this year of of ending that um, you know wind drought, which probably is one of the longest active wind droughts in NASCAR, isn't it at the moment? Yeah, he I mean, won it. Uh, won it uh, the Brickyard four hundred. Yeah, uh, was that four? No, it wasn't fourteen. Was it twelve? Eleven? Eleven. So you know, you, you know, if he wins, though, he ends up with like a similar career mark as uh, Jamie McMurray, who you know. He wins all yeah, the crown jewels, but isn't quite, you know, there at the the end with all the races. Well, we'll just, when you uh, when you retire, you look at the trophies on the mantelpiece, don't you? That's right. Yeah. You know, I, I'm gonna. I, I'm, Paul Menard is 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 a curious character to me, and, and <laughs> based on what I've seen, restricted plate racing is 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 a different is a different type of racing, and we've seen the surprise winner come through there. Uh, and, and basically it's, it's positioning, being in the right place at the right time, dodging the big wreck, and uh, crazy. You know, we've all seen crazy things happen at the end of these plate races. Um, he could win that, and I tell you, there's a, there's, there's a lot of people that have, that, uh, have one win in, in NASCAR and, and that win uh, come at a restrictor plate race. Paul's only NASCAR win is at, at the Brickyard 400, which was a fuel mileage win. So somewhat fluky in that uh, thing. He, you know, he had his car in position to win. They took advantage of it, and he was able able to come home with the winner. But uh, aside from that, his career has been less than uh, less. Let's say less than sterling. I, so, I tell you uh, why. I tell you why I like Paul Menard though over the other Penske's, and that's because Brad Keselowski's already got his out of the way, and you don't really go through Daytona anymore and, and go on the Dale Junior. I'm gonna try to sweep speed weeks roll anymore. So, uh, but didn't Denny yeah. Hamlin do that in 2016? Yeah. I guess, but honestly, it's a rarity. I mean, come on. I'm gonna I'm gonna state 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 this. I think right now, when you look at the best plate racers that they are that have a knack for it, you would have to put 
uh, Keselowski at the top of that uh, list. Uh, he, his his record is there. He he put himself in position to win the clash. Uh, I didn't see where you know he was going to. Uh, we'll have to look at this this arrow package that they've got right there to see whether you know cars can can double team or if there is the draft is going to work the way you can slingshot. Just don't know. Um, we'll see how it comes out. Uh, the rest of the weekend and some of the practice and some of the uh, some of the races, but I think Keselowski, you know, he's a, he's a former champion. He's won it. He's won everything but the Daytona 500. Uh, I think he could do it. Ford's the Ford package is very good there, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Keselowski as my as my pick uh, to to win the race because I think basically he understands the draft, knows how to, knows how to, he's proven it time and time again. So it may be his turn to win the Daytona 500 this year. Absolutely, yeah. I'll, I'll. So now, Richard, you've got a you've got a pick for race then. I don't think you can look too far past past one of the Ford cars. I mean, I know there's you know the whole body thing, but I, I really don't think I think they look uh, they look like the real deal. And I'm going to go. No, you second that one. I just said that I was picking Paul Menard. Now. I know, Come but on. you but you say yeah, you second. <laughs> You're a Kevin Hart fan. Seth, your pick is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with Bubba Wallace, and I, I just, I just want to see someone with that kind of personality end up in Victory Lane. And just to top it all off, they're also going to be chronicling that in a new documentary series on Facebook. In the wall at some point. <laughs> <laughs> that would be spe- that would be a spectacular story. The only bigger story than that would be if Danica wins it. But uh, I'm going to go with, you know, I was really thinking uh, Ryan Blaney, uh, Art's color on that car. That car just looked spectacular during the clash. But uh, as I saw him, his inexperience get him shuffled shuffled right on. I'm going to go with the Ford also, but I'm going to go with Joey Logano uh, for the 500, take his second 500 win. So. Winning the Daytona 500 last year. Yes, he was. <laughs> so... And and I experience it in, 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 for aggression, for aggression, yeah. and inex, inexperience. Because you've got to get out and try, sometimes you've got to try to make things happen. And and uh, Ryan has shown that he's willing to do that. He's not going to stay in line, and he's going to shake. He's going to shake things up, and it's bit him a couple of times. But one of these days he, that he's going to make that right move, somebody's going to tuck out with him, and they and they may go to the front. I think last year showed what he could do. Had his car not sputtered, he was he was he would probably have driven around the forty one between between you know three and four in the start finish line. But his car, you know, he sputtered coming off four, and he he lost his momentum. So we'll see. I mean, that's a good, I would Blaney would be a good pick too. I, you know, he, yeah, I'm gonna I'll implore Frank to change this pick because at least Blaney is actually trying to do things before we get to the big dance on Sunday. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can't say that about everybody else. Too many people become follow the leader, just stick to the bottom bottom line, the yellow line there, and, and at least he's trying to learn what they can't do because you've also got to learn how the draft is with the Fords off of the Chevrolet bodies and mm-hmm. off of different things like that. So at least he's testing the waters. And Seth brought up, you know, brought up a good point too about personality. Uh, Ryan's another one of these young kids that's got an awful lot of personality and he shows it. And both he and, he and Bubba have similar personalities. But, uh, to, to a degree, 
uh, I, I'm looking forward to this year with those with those two guys bringing in sort of a, a breath of fresh air to the sport. All right, good stuff, guys. You know what? I am going to take your advice. I'm going to change my pick to Ryan Blaney and hope that he does me well in Daytona 500. And we'll all be watching that Sunday. We'll be back on next week. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank iHeartRadio for hosting us. I want to thank you, Seth, Joey, Gray, Richard. I want to thank all you folks that listen in. Everybody, have a good night. We'll talk to you in a week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 